Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, whether you're doing it at cnjradio.com or you're subscribed and leaving a star rating and review on iTunes, never missing one single episode. Thank you especially everybody who does that. You know, it's weird. Uh, Life is weird just in general, but I've actually had this playlist for a long time now, even though some people may not believe that. I've been planning on doing this show for years. It just hasn't happened, but certain uh, current events have definitely expedited it to become an episode here this week on Rock Strikes 10 with the passing of Vinnie Paul, who, uh, you know, being somebody from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, definitely a local legend, uh, you know, of course, along with his brother Daryl. And just Pantera in general is is the thing of Texas lore at this point. For those of us who had the honor of seeing them live, which I did multiple times, it's definitely to the point where something like that is so far out of reach now. It's something that we are humbled by and that we tend to kind of brag about. You know, I definitely was like, yeah, I saw Pantera quite a few times. And, you know, everything you hear about them and all the footage you see about them, it doesn't tell lies. Uh, that band really brought it and they did us proud out here. You know, we were we were proud to be from the area that Pantera is from. A band that really redefined heavy metal for the 90s. If Pantera hadn't come around in the 90s, who knows? I mean, it's one of those bands. They're a zeitgeist in the genre. And it's just cool that it happened, really. I'm trying to stay positive because, you know, all these events concerning the band are pretty sad, you know. Uh, and I feel so bad for Mr. Jerry Abbott having to bury his two kids in his lifetime. That sucks, man. Nobody should have to do that. But, uh, you know, tonight we're doing Pantera. It's all Pantera top to bottom. You know, like I said, I've had this playlist for forever, you know, because they got nine studio albums and a live album. That's 10 right there. Perfect for a show like Rock Strikes 10. But, you know, of course, there'll be some personalization here. Let's kick off with the music. And, uh, you know, anybody who's a decent fan of Pantera, I will say, if you're not a fan of Pantera, and, you know, if you're not, you're not, but... I think especially the top half of the show is going to surprise you if you're not in the know, shall we say. I'm going to play something from every Studio Pantera album, plus a nice little surprise at the end to round it out to 10. Just a personal favorite from each album of mine. A lot of these albums it's hard to choose from and it sounds very generic, but it's absolutely true. So we're going to go deep. And of course, going deep, man, just the early albums in general are deep for most people. Uh, the Pantera that came along in the early 80s is not the one, uh, you know, in, in essence and style and all this other stuff. It's, it's not the one that most people know. If you're from around here or you're a hardcore fan of the band, you're aware that they did not sound like, uh, you know, vulgar display of power Pantera, you know, like in the, the Pantera we loved. It, it, did, it wasn't always like that. They were a band that... You know, they wore their influences on their sleeves, and they were of the time, as a lot of people like to say. So this early era of Pantera from the first four albums, very 80s, which I'm a fan of. You know me, love me some melodic hard rock and heavy metal. And the first four Pantera albums has it in spades. Further proof, here's something off of their debut album from 1983, an album called Metal Magic. This is Biggest Part of Me.
kicking off Rock Strikes 10's tribute to Pantera and to Vinny and Daryl Abbott in general. Dimebag Daryl and Vinny Paul. That was Biggest Part of Me from their first album, Metal Magic, in 1983, produced by their dad. I mean, you gotta... It's one of those things where I, I like to think that it's like a homemade DIY thing, and it totally is on some level. But, you know, definitely a lot of jealousy from someone like me. It's like, oh, you grew up in the business and your dad had a studio produce local guys so you have access to the studio without having to pay him and i could see how it happened so early for him i'm not going to fault him for it man if, if i'd have been born into that hell yeah hell yeah would have done it in a minute but at the same time i don't think it compromised the rags to riches in a sense because there definitely is some of that as well but yeah metal magic and also the name of their independent label metal magic records they released this album in 83 Daryl's 16 years old, Vinny's 19 years old. So they're just like teenagers and early early young adults there. And they put out an album that, you know, it's not critically loved or anything, but these initial albums, you know, and we're talking about the original singer, Terry Glaze. Terry Glaze, great singer, great metal singer. Uh, these albums fit perfectly fine next to any albums of this era in my vinyl collection. And I don't think that's just showing local favoritism. These albums definitely have something. And uh, if you're a fan of this genre especially, uh, I think you will totally dig these albums once you, if you ever get to hear them top to bottom. In their lifetime, they didn't want these released nationally. I don't know why. I don't know where the embarrassment comes from. I get that the image of what the band became is miles away from what they were but as they would once famously say it's where you come from and i don't think they should have been embarrassed about it but that's just my opinion one man's opinion i'm not even going to play the whole you're leaving money on the table thing because i mean they were doing that for sure that's just a fact of life but uh you know somebody is going to get the rights of these at some point and somebody will put them out they will see the light of day Uh, For right now, I do apologize for the sound quality on that track and also for the sound quality on track four tonight. That being said, we're going to move over into their sophomore album, Projects in the Jungle from 1984, showing massive signs of improvement and production value, honestly. It's a really fun, cool record to check out. It's definitely leaning towards a little more serious metal. The first one was like more party pop metal. I mean, they would always have elements of that on the first four albums. They would go up and down with it. But Projects in the Jungle, man, is, is pretty damn solid and... You know, some of the critics say it was very derivative of Def Leppard. I mean, how could you not be? They were one of the biggest bands in the world. Only number two to Michael Jackson on the charts, but they were the biggest hard rock band in the world at that point. So who wouldn't want to emulate Def Leppard? And it's a great band anyway, so screw it. So if you're a Def Leppard fan, I mean, Projects in the Jungle, you're going to love this record. I see signs also, you know, there's obviously Kiss influences in there. Not as much as you'd expect, some Ozzy. Definitely some Dokken, too. I hear a lot of Dokken on these early albums. But that's also credited to Terry Glaze's singing style as well. So, uh, speaking of Def Leppard, this one, I was talking to BJ from Rock and or Roll, who's a big fan of the Terry Glaze era. And, you know, he basically said, All Over Tonight is just Def Leppard all the way. And I couldn't argue with that. Also happens to be my favorite song on Projects in the Jungle. So here you go. This is All Over Tonight. Oh, <laughs> 
There you go. That was all over tonight from Pantera's second album, Projects in the Jungle. Really fun, cool record. A lot of good metal on there. Great job by Terry Glaze on vocals there. And just the band is just, it sounds like they're having fun. And that's what these records are. They're super fun, super catchy at times. So, yeah, it's another reason why we're featuring them here tonight on Rock Strikes 10, our beloved tribute to the Abbott Brothers. And both of their passings now, which is super sad. Vinny strikes me as a guy that lived his life to the fullest. I, I was an observer from far away. Uh, I had a couple of you know brushes with him and everything, but I, I know people that know him really well. But uh, I'm just glad that he made so much of himself and gave us so much cool music, too. That's the thing I want to try to focus on here. So, that all being said... Moving over to the third Pantera album. They're third in three consecutive years. I mean, come on, man. I mean, these guys, like I said, 
They're just barely out of their teen years into their young adult years. What did most of us do in their teens besides pulling their pud, you know, as uh, the old people like to say. But, I mean, they're putting out records on this independent label, getting some attention, definitely gigging huge around the area. And I'm surprised it didn't get snapped up earlier by one of the majors, honestly, because this stuff, I think, would have competed with a lot of the metal at the time, especially stuff, you know, kind of in the underground circuit, but, you know, shipping like 250,000 units, I don't think would have been out of the question at that point, in the 80s especially. So I Am The Night, definitely showing more signs of heavy, heavy metal, and uh, Terry Glaze, once again, just killing it on vocals. The band sounds great, and uh, thankfully, with the Projects in the Jungle and I Am The Night, I have some uh, <clears throat> import copies of them on CD, so that's why the sound quality is a little better on these. So you're going to get another one that sounds pretty damn good here. And a really interesting track from I Am The Night. This one actually reminds me, and, and also the song I'm going to play off Power Metal, kind of almost like a Queensryche kind of thing going on here. But nothing wrong with that, especially in the 80s. But getting back to I Am The Night, another really cool early album by the band. And uh, here's my personal favorite song off of it, at least as of today. This is Daughters of the Queen.
You know, almost even more bizarre than hearing keyboards on a Pantera song like we did on Biggest Part of Me earlier here in the show. But to hear Vinnie Paul play on, like, electronic pads, that is more shocking than anything. I mean, the guy is such a power drummer and just, you know, one of the best ever in heavy metal. I mean, and yeah, that's another thing. I didn't speak about this at the beginning of the show, but... Vinnie Paul, and I'm not just saying this, he's not overrated in death. He was a personality drummer, and you had to have him in the band, Pantera, for it to be Pantera. You know, and and this isn't an insult to drummers. I really, you know, I, I was a percussionist in high school. I have mucho respect for drummers and the physicality and everything else that goes into it and all that. But you know how it is in the rock and roll business. You know, you have to be a personality drummer. You have to be irreplaceable or you, eventually you probably will get replaced. There's very few instances where a personality drummer of a band would like leave and they could actually carry on legitimately. It's just not a thing that really goes on all that much. Uh, Vinny would have been irreplaceable in Pantera. His sound is unmistakable. His attack is unmistakable. And that's really, truly what makes him one of the greats. So, yeah. I hope you enjoyed that, by the way. That was Daughters of the Queen from I Am the Night from 1985. And yes, it does sound it. That's why I love it. And I'm not really sure what all the internal conflict was in, you know, Terry Glaze leaving the band and Phil Anselmo getting the gig. Uh, they don't really go into a ton of detail about it, like on the interviews I've seen over the years, behind the music and all that stuff. I mean, I think the the regular answer is they were looking for a different sound. They were going to go heavier. They were always going to do that. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's it's easy to say that in retrospect. I just don't know. What I do know is is that there's almost kind of this revisionist history in the when it comes to Pantera that when Phil joins the band, all of a sudden... They became the band that they were going to be known as stylistically. Not so much the case on Power Metal, which comes out like three years after I Am The Night, 1988. Their sound does change a bit, and you can you can tell it's getting more refined, but as a band, you should always be refining your sound to a point. But the style didn't change so much. Like Phil joining this band and then putting out the Power Metal album, it just sounds like the follow-up to I Am The Night. There's definitely a lot of improvement, and you would hope so over those three years, but it's not the even the fill that most people know. You know, fucking hostile and all that stuff, which I love. But he's doing a lot of Halfordisms on this one, as I like to call it, and even he might too call it that. But you know, Phil was a whaler in his day, man. You know, he was a damn fine heavy metal singer on that level of you know, wah, you know, all that stuff. So if you ever get a chance to listen to power metal, you'll hear it on there. I mean, hell, there's elements of it on Cowboys from Hell. We've heard that album. All of us have heard that album, right? Okay. You know he's hitting them high notes. And it's a shame that he lost that over the years, in my opinion, because, you know, I thought he was great at it, too. He had a lot of power in his vocal cords. But getting back to power metal... Power metal is really neat, and this kind of uh, proves my theory here on the fact that they didn't just immediately become this, like, power metal-slash-thrash-hybrid-slash-punk thing whenever Phil joined. They were still doing what they were doing. This song is definitely proof of that. I'm going to the extreme on power metal here, just to prove my point. But I really do dig this song. And it's got, once again, massive Queensryche influence, uh, in my opinion. But from power metal, this is Hard Ride.
Very nice little hybrid of Priest Era Defenders of the Faith and Queensryche Era Rage for Order. That was Hard Ride by Pantera. And we have closed the chapter on that era of Pantera. Yes. We're moving over into 1990, the dawn of the 90s. And a lot of the bands that had come out in the 80s that, that truly redefined heavy metal and what it was and in the thrash genre, you know, your big four, Megadeth, Metallica, Slayer, and Anthrax, along with great acts like Testament, Exodus, Sepultura, and a lot of great bands from regional areas that definitely did the genre justice. Bands that didn't really get all that huge, but people do know them if they're like, you know, real fans, you know, Raven, Riot, and all that stuff. Uh, but I remember specifically uh, a friend of mine throughout uh i made friends with this guy when i was in like sixth grade or something fifth or sixth grade and i always had like older friends it's really weird i don't know why uh, but i i became friends with this guy jason muse and he it was either like me coming over to his house i'm pretty sure he came over to my house at this instance and he had a cassette copy of cowboys from hell by pantera and i'll never forget it because he was like you gotta hear this it's one of those things like we bonded over our mutual love for certain bands and he was my metal friend uh, along with a couple of other guys but he was my metal guy like my my conduit to good metal uh, after a while you know and i was already reading magazines and watching headbangers ball and stuff like that so there definitely was exposure there but i hadn't seen pantera on mtv or really read about him all that much so him showing up with this copy of cowboys from hell on cassette going you gotta hear this put it on first song bam done you hear cowboys from hell title track track one you're just like wow when you're like 11 years old 12 years old and you're into metal like there that was a moment i've never forgotten that moment so thanks jason i recently saw him at uh at the poison cheap trick show i was surprised to see him all these years and uh we've all never moved out of the area but literally one of the first times i've ever seen him at a concert it was bizarre so if you're in this jason thanks for bringing that cassette over that day that was one of those moments so yes we are talking about cowboys from hell 1990 track two if cowboys from hell wasn't tearing your face off then this one would definitely finish the job so my personal favorite song from cowboys from hell turn it up for primal concrete sledge
Ah, yes, so good. Two minutes and change, that's all you need. Check out that double kick drum. It's ridiculous. I used to love when I would go see them live and they would play that song. Just the strobe kicking into overdrive. So freaking cool, man. And yeah, Primal Concrete Sledge. I'm sure a lot of bands, when they heard that song, was like, damn, that would have been a good band name or, you know, album title. Ugh. But you already had Cowboys from Hell, man. Where can you go after that? Nope. There's no place you can go after that. So, yeah. Uh, kudos to Atlantic Records. They're usually shit at signing metal bands and punk bands. They're awful at it. They are super terrible at promoting them and stuff like that. But I don't know. Maybe it was just one of those things where, uh, you know, maybe there wasn't so much in the way of promotion as it just was once you could get it in every store possible. It was undeniable. The power and perfect timing of Pantera was undeniable. And we were all digging Cowboys from Hell. We loved it. And I, I'm sure a lot of us was like, man, I hope the next album is going to be as good. It's all we could hope for, right? Especially when you really love a record. And I think in most people's eyes, they put out their best record to follow up Cowboys from Hell. So for the rest of the world, this was their sophomore album. You know, over in this neck of the woods, it was their sixth. But this is when they hit their peak creatively and just as a force of music nature. And Vulgar Display of Power was just... If I'm making a top 10 metal albums list, that album is on there. There's no doubt about that. Maybe even top five. So it's it's just the best. It's it's just perfect from the album cover, first song, last song, everything in between. Even the quote-unquote filler is good on this album. And it is what it says it is. Vulgar display of power. So I'm going to go as deep as I think I can on this album just to prove the point of how classic and essential vulgar display of power is and the other thing that just every time i hear this song the other great thing that i i go back to is just watching headbangers ball because they for a while for a few years all the bumpers were off of uh vulgar display of power they would just sample different riffs and breakdowns for their bumpers and just the weirdest darkest imagery (laughs) at the time and uh it just made an impression it just further extended the legend of this album So, yeah, using a lot of adjectives. And here's a few more from Vulgar Display of Power. This is, of course, Pantera with regular people.
Regular people, and in parentheses, conceit from Vulgar Display of Power, 1992. Great year to be a metal fan, too. Uh, you know, especially on the uh, mainstream side of things, getting played on MTV and all that kind of jazz. Still never heard Pantera on the radio all that much, even locally. I mean, you would literally have to tune in to, like, uh, our uh, nonprofit station down here, 893KNON, on their metal hour, like, once a week to hear Pantera or Z Rock. You know, we had Z-Rock, too, for a while. It was on and off throughout the 90s. And, you know, like, mainstream rock didn't really play it. Not for a while. They they finally started to do it uh, towards uh, the third album here. You know, the third national album. <laughs> we, I, we say it, too. Don't worry. We're not total assholes and snobs. But for Far Beyond Driven, started to hear them a little bit more on the radio. Uh, because it was getting a little bit more, you know, dark, dark alternative. Metal was being embraced a little bit more just because it was grungier and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, hey, even Pantera were wearing flannel shirts, man. <laughs> Everybody was wearing fucking flannel. 
But yeah, far beyond driven, definitely they they finally you realize they were setting out to always get heavier on each album. And this is one of the things, never bury the lead on Far Beyond Driven. It went number one on the Billboard Top 200 albums. Debuted at number one, and it's, uh, uh, you know, until like Slipknot did it a few times in the 2000s, but it was easily the heaviest album that had gone number one at that point. So super duper important. Far Beyond Driven is a historical album in the annals of heavy metal, and they did not sell out. They did not compromise. They got heavier and crunchier and all that other stuff, sometimes at the expense of the song, in my opinion. But for the most part, they, they knew how to still write a song, and I dig that. That's another thing I'll mention about as heavy and as angry as a lot of Pantera stuff is, I definitely put it more in the primal scream method. If When you went to see them live, though, and maybe this is just at local shows, but, you know, watching those videos, it seemed like this was going on all over the world whenever they would come to your town. Yeah, they were heavy, but it wasn't total girl repellent type stuff. Like, they weren't super poppy or anything, but their songs were still cool, and they had a great groove to it. And, you know, it's almost like taboo to be like a heavy metal band and not still be like a get-your-t-shirts-off-ladies kind of thing when, when they're playing a show. Saw that quite a bit at their shows, so... They conveyed fun when they were on stage. Even as heavy as they got, they always conveyed that they were having fun. And that always left a massive impression for me. And that's another reason why I'm a big fan of Anthrax, is that they always seemed like they were having fun. As, as good as some of these other bands are and some of these metal bands are, I, I don't necessarily feel like they're having fun all the time. Some of them do seem like they're punching a clock. But I think that's another reason why Anthrax and Pantera got along so much. They were just really in it for having fun and not having to have a stupid job and make a few bucks. All right, there's my rant for that. Getting back to Far Beyond Driven. And uh, I like a decent amount of stuff off here. I think I could have stood a little editing, but you know, hey, that's me. But it's a very good top half for me. And yeah, I dig Planet Caravan and stuff like that. That's really when they first got played on radio uh, around the world was Planet Caravan. But, uh, man, you put this on in the car, any of those, even the singles, man, five minutes alone, I'm broken. The grooves on that and just the, the punch, the power of Vinny's drums. And it's really on display on this track that I'm going to play for you right here to represent Far Beyond Driven, especially at that end with the double kick, man. Everybody loves that. And I love it too. I never get sick of it. So this is a really mass tribute to Vinny right here. This is Becoming. <laughs> Yeah. 
it. There you go. Becoming from Far Beyond Driven. Track two on there. I mean, sandwiched between Strength Beyond Strength and Five Minutes Alone. I mean, that thing never really lets up for the longest time. So I, I dig that right there. Becoming. You know, I, I, I almost feel like I need to apologize to the listeners right now for not just going right into Five Minutes Alone. Because that's what you want to hear after Becoming, right? I know I do. All right, we over here down in Dallas-Fort Worth, we take a lot of ownership over our Pantera. And, you know, I hope you don't mind me just kind of rambling on and and gushing and maybe telling a couple of personal stories here and there because that's what I feel like when I hear Pantera especially. And, uh, you know, I'll go ahead and tell this story. I've told it on the show like years ago. I went to go see, speaking of Anthrax in that last segment, I went to go see him at Trees in 1998, and uh, it was a, it was a phenomenal show. I mean, they were definitely playing in a small place at that point, but, I mean, just one of the best metal shows I've ever seen, ever. Volume 8 tour, and just right there on the floor, just uh, right to the right of the pit area, because I was always, I was not a pit guy. Spectator sport for me. But, you know, if you went to a place like Trees, it was always understood that the pit was in the center, like most places. But if you were off to the side, you were going to be fine. You could still see the show. You could have your own show and rock out and everything would be great. And right there on the side, the whole night, man, watching Anthrax is Vinny and Dime. Literally, I'm shoulder to shoulder with Dime. And it's just like two dudes, two fans. They go into like Armed and Dangerous and he really just flipped out oh man i love this song and what can you do just like yeah me too man you know that kind of stuff those are the kind of guys they were when they were together especially they were always on the floor they were never in the vip when they were together because you know that's just how they were i mean shit man i live 10 minutes from where they grew up and uh you know i live in Euless, texas which is 10 minutes from pantigo in arlington and that's you know it you always got that vibe off of them. They, they never forgot about where they came from and all that stuff. That all sounds generic, but it's absolutely true. That whole thing I talked about earlier, you know, far beyond driven them going heavier when, you know, all their contemporaries seem to be chasing the dollar a bit more and going a little softer. They just, on principle, they would just get heavier and harder and crazier. And Great Southern Trinkill really is the peak of that, you know. Thankfully, they went a little bit further down on uh, reinventing the steel, which I love reinventing the steel, but I don't think you could get heavier really overall top to bottom than the great Southern trend kill. Cause it's like a super dark, super heavy album. It's almost like it's probably one of the more least fun albums. Honestly, a lot of tensions in the band. Phil had already done the OD thing and you know, it's a dark fucking album. I mean, of course floods, everybody talks about floods. Now one of dimes greatest solos, if not his greatest solo ever. And he really nailed it on that one. And, uh, you know, as, as far as their overall major albums, Trink Hill is my least favorite. Just because I'm, I'm, I'm a little, you know, I'm a, I'm a basic B. I'm a little more pop oriented. But man, yeah, if you're pissed off, this is up there with like most of the Slayer albums. So put on Great Southern Trink Hill. It does serve a purpose. Uh, but I'm going to play one I haven't played on the show yet. This definitely, I like the time changes. That was the other thing that is great about Pantera. They never really, uh, you know, stayed on the same groove. They would always like change it up halfway through the song, one third of the way through the song. And, you know, I like the changes on this too. So that's why I'm playing it for this episode. So from Great Southern Trend Kill, this is Warner. <laughs>
from 1996's is that proper from 1996 96's great southern trend kill I remember the early ads for that it was going to be called great southern trend killers or something like that and they I think they fought with Electra over saying killers versus kill so <laughs> seems so weird but I guess maybe somebody would take that the wrong way and start killing trendy people in their high school or something, I suppose. It's definitely a reality now, more so than ever, but uh, before I get too far deep on that, uh, that was War Nerve. (laughs) 
And uh, it took all the way. I mean, I think they even literally probably broke up between this and the fifth uh, national album, Reinventing the Steel, because it was like 2000. Yeah, it came out in 2000, four years after the fact. I mean, yeah, they had put out Official Live 101. I think that was in 97, if I'm not mistaken. So still, yeah, like three years between that. Although uh, we did get the great... Uh, three watch it go home video that's, that's another thing man those home videos they've got the dvd now that compiles all three of the home videos but back when you just waited for that video to come out every time because you knew they were going to put it out and each one was crazier than the next like in a pre-jackass era they filmed all their shenanigans and all for us to enjoy for some reason i can't believe they litigiously i can't believe they put some of that stuff out but we're, we are sure glad they did so if you have a chance, especially check out three, watch it go. But it's I think it's called three vulgar videos from hell. It's on DVD. Go get that if you're a fan. If you don't have it already, of course. But uh, yeah, it took uh, four years for a new studio, and I like reinventing the steel. Like I said, I think it's a nice compromise between being so heavy and still writing a good tune. So uh, you know, for me, Pantera as a studio band went out on a real high note. And uh, I'll fight you if you if you disagree with me, yeah. And, uh, well, actually, I don't need to fight you. This one's just going to knock you out. Because track one on this thing, man, it's just, it, it, it's a mother, man. And since it's uh, proverbial Pantera fans, Randy Brown's birthday today, as I'm recording this, this one goes out to you, brother. Turn it up in Fort Worth, Texas. It's Hellbound. <laughs>
right. There you go. That's how you do it. Hellbound in Fort Worth, Texas. They could have just as easily said Dallas, Texas, but they were they lived closer to Fort Worth, and so do I. And I love that song, especially on principle for that reason. But uh, yeah, when I cross through the, the city limit, I always hear Fort Worth, Texas. So yeah, Hellbound. Uh, saw them with Logan at OzFest 2000. We uh, Logan had like won tickets off the radio to go to OzFest that day. And he literally won the tickets like the day of the show. And we were working at the CD store. And I don't I think we got somebody to come in. I'm not sure if it was Brian or Shelby to come in and close for us. Because we were there, stuck at work, trying to get to the show. And really, we were just concerned about getting there on time for Pantera. Because he was on right before Ozzy. And quite frankly, I wasn't impressed with really any of the other bands on the bill that year. Big drop-off after 99, in my opinion, but we got there just in time. The thing went down, and I think they opened with Domination. I'm not sure, but I know for sure, like, the first, second, or third song was Hellbound, and they had this great steel logo on stage that they would set on fire during parts of the set, and it was like, man, when Hellbound kicks in in that part where the band just goes crazy in Fort Worth, Texas, and the fire just grew on that sign. It just engulfed the whole sign. And we were about 20 rows back. And you could, you know, you know when there's fire at a show, you could feel it. I've never felt a heavier fire than that thing. That thing was sick. So that was my last uh, time seeing Pantera live, sadly. You know, being from, you know, where they're from and, and knowing that they're going to play every time they tour, of course, and, and maybe multiple times. You know, only got to see them like four or five times. But yeah, that last one was pretty cool. And that's the thing I remember the most about it, for sure. So... I hope you've enjoyed this show. Uh, we got one more song to play, actually. We've only played nine songs. I teased a surprise here at the end. And I've played this on the show, but I think it's been a few years. And I just feel like this is the fitting way to go. The thing I always really especially dug about Vinny and Dime was that they were unabashed Kiss fans. And as a kid growing up, prior to the Kiss reunion especially, it was not cool to be a Kiss fan. I was an unpopular dick, and at least Dime would have the wherewithal. I, you know, I feel like he was looking out for me. He'd have Kiss stickers on his guitar, and even going so far that that Guitar World cover with uh, him, Ace, and Snake from Skid Row, and him and Snake are both in Ace Fraley makeup, and Ace is not. That's still my favorite Guitar World magazine cover of all time. But yeah, making the world safe for Kiss fans, just because they were so cool. They made Kiss just a little bit cooler. And I didn't get beat up nearly as much after that. So thanks, guys. And uh, I say this to go out on the note of uh, one of the very few times that Diamond Vinny just recorded uh, themselves together on a track in the studio with uh, nothing else, no other bass player or vocalist or anything, was for the Ace Fraley tribute album, Spacewalk. That came out, uh, I think it was around 95, 96, something like that. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty okay tribute album. It's like half good, like most tribute albums go. But this, to me, is the highlight. And it's just so beautiful. And, like I said, I feel this is the way I need to send them off with. Vinny and Dime together. Brothers in fandom, brothers in life, and brothers in music. And they do this amazing version of Ace Fraley's Fractured Mirror. What else can you say? I'm going to have them take it away. Enjoy it.
Ah, there you go. That that gives me chills every time I hear it. I love that they, they really made it their own, too. I mean, they didn't stray far away from the arrangement, but I love the choices they made on it, especially in that last act where Vinny goes into a little bit of overdrive and Dime uses his signature wah there. Just so cool. Chill right up the spine. And, uh, you know, even... I might have used a lot of cliches on this tribute, but it's definitely from the heart. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can't not make it about you when you're hosting a show. And I'm trying not to be like this, like, you know, snobby local guy. Oh, yeah, but I, I don't mean to come off that way if I have. I know that I am, a, you know, a longtime fan. And I, I did this one for the love just to pay tribute to the guys. And uh, it's, it's a less of a world without them in it and uh, especially just musically, culturally, and to their friends and family, who I know a few of, and this is for them too. It's, it's for everybody who appreciates good music and is feeling a loss with them not being around. So, uh, yeah, that's really all I can say. Uh, thank you for tuning into the show. If you, if you like this, uh, go to cnjradio.com. Every episode of Rock Strikes 10 is on there, especially the ones that aren't on iTunes. The aforementioned Randy Brown, who saw Pantera a lot live as well. More so than I, I think. He he probably went at least double the times I did. Yeah, Randy gets all the tickets. But uh, yeah, Uh, check out the Synaptic Empire featuring Randy Brown, a true alternative where you would tune into a show and you'd hear Pantera and then hear like Casey Musgraves or something. But that's how we roll on the Synaptic Empire. It's a great show. You should listen to it. Open up your brain even more so than when you listen to mine. Uh, while you're on there, stick around for my CNJ Radio partner, Chris, and Last Theater on the left. More shows coming soon. And also the flagship, myself and Chris, with the Wrestling House Show. New episodes happening all the time for your pro wrestling guys. Uh, Pantera and pro wrestling, it goes hand in hand for sure. That's for sure. It, it keeps us from becoming the axe murderers that we all could be, right? Potentially. Okay. So, thank you again at uh, cnjradio.com. Yes, and there are Rock Strikes 10 t-shirts. Message me for details. $20 shipped, free button, and some swag. $15 local pickup. Last but not least, extra special thanks to Pete LaRussa and the guys from Space Beard for the awesome outro. I know Pete is a big Pantera fan as well. This episode's also for you, sir. And I know you're a big Vinny fan especially. But yeah, uh, go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband for more info. Tell him the Rock Strikes 10 sent you. Hit up Pete LaRusa out there on social media. He's a great guy. If you're listening to this show, you're good people. I think Pete will uh, I'll, I'll vouch for you if you need it. All right. We'll be a little bit more upbeat on the next episode. I, I was planning on doing, you know, a, a kickoff start of summer show. Obviously, uh, we needed to bump that for very important reasons. And, uh, yeah, so uh, tune into the next one. We're going to throw a party just like Vinny would have wanted to. So, yeah, see you next time. Have fun. <laughs>